Welcome to Jurassic World. Jurassic World Minute where we visit Jurassic World one minute at a time. Family weekends aren't always happy ones. I'm Brad. I'm Dave. And here we are to discuss Minute 29 of Jurassic World. Before we get to that, David, roaring over to Jurassic-pedia.com we have uh, right up here by Sickle Claw on Owen's Triumph Motorcycle. Uh, 2006, mm-hmm. uh, I said it name before, Scrambler. <laughs> Yeah, this is an off-road motorcycle. Again, another article written by contributor Sickle Claw. This was, um, or the motorcycle itself was always something that I really liked about, uh, not, not maybe specifically Owen's character, but something that I liked introduced into the movies because we've had the, um, what was that, the Yamaha, I think, in The Lost World that we saw for that short clip in, in the game trail. And the mo- I mean, this is kind of really like one of those classic-looking motorcycle types. And I did like that we had a new kind of vehicle like that that we hadn't really had before in these movies. We never really had a motorcycle as a main vehicle, despite it being one in the second novel. Hmm. <laughs> Even though that one was supposed to be electric. <laughs> this one's definitely a... Um... Well, I'd say one of the key features, twin exhaust and that. When we get to it later in the minutes, you can definitely hear it when he starts it up. But yeah, no, I like the, um, the Lost World one was a German... Something to start with B, it was Brut, Brutner or something. Something like that, yeah. Uh, yeah. it's we've, we've got the article for it on, on this... Uh... On PDS someplace. Yeah. I think I wrote it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, that'd be one of the early articles, I'd imagine, too, going back to the Lost World. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, this um, this article here uh, pretty much describes what the motorcycle is and then goes into its key features in the film and where it sort of ends up at the end of the film, which I thought he got on a quad and rode away with uh, Blue following, mm-hmm. but here it says he uh, got some, gets on his bike, so we can discuss that more later on the film when uh, he's out riding mm-hmm. along with the Raptor Squad. Um, I checked it. I did write the electric motorcycle article on, uh, <laughs> from the from the novel. It was a custom. It was a custom piece uh, for or by Thorn Mobile Field Systems. Mm-hmm. It was it wasn't a modified. Again, something to be good little callback to that novel, seeing something like in the film. But mm-hmm. we get that with this motorcycle and what happens later in the film. That little bit of callback to Sarah, yeah. Sarah and the Raptors. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, head over to Jurassic-Pedia.com for this and many more articles. Don't ever turn your back to the cage. <laughs> Dave, ready to get in minute 29. I oh, am. Yeah. As we enter minute 28 of Jurassic World, Karen started to cry and began grilling Claire over how Zack would treat Grey if they're left alone. Claire apologises and doesn't say she's going to go and find the boys and spend the rest of the day with them, but instead says, Tomorrow, I'll take a day off work and I won't leave their side. How does Karen even think this is okay? Karen sniffles and recites some meta-spiritual quote from their mother, which Claire picks up on and retorts. The following 30 seconds is back and forth between Karen and Claire about having kids, not having kids, if you'll have kids, and mum's line. At the 32 second mark, the conversation's over. (laughs) Yes. Only to go into possibly a worse one as Claire pulls up at Owen's bungalow. Her Mercedes looking shiny and new, as if it was a car advertisement or something. At the 50 second mark, we cut to Owen, sitting on a bucket, working on his motorbike. He looks across and sees Claire get out of the car. She spends a moment fixing up her hair and starts to walk over to him as he asks Snow One, what do they want now? And as the minute ends, she says, Mr. Grady, I need you to come have a look at something. As we uh, ended minute 28, Karen has started to break down after hearing about Claire's bad day. <laughs> and, uh, well, more so that the, she wasn't with the boys. And she told Claire this was meant to be a family weekend. Um, and she hasn't seen the boys in forever. Uh, some family weekend this is going to be. Uh, Claire, uh, Karen continues, I know how Zach will treat Grey if they were, if they're by themselves. Um, he can be just so mean. Well, we don't really, we get some of the name calling here in the film, but we don't get the really mean things. I was, I was half expecting him to punch him or <laughs> be, be really, yeah. really mean. Yeah. Abusive big brother. <laughs> yeah. something like that <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah exactly slap him in the back of the head or anything like that at, but at the same time I mean we kind of get the opposite towards the end of the movie we see Zach kind of really cheering up Grey and reminding him of the time they fought the monster in the closet you know <laughs> yeah yeah the, the brotherly bonding it sort of grows throughout the film uh, yeah where he, I mean it's not like it's like we never really see this kind of mean streak. We see kind of brotherly banter, but nothing I'd really call bullying. You know? Yeah. Well, that's on the boat. He walks away from because he's Gray's spouting off facts about the dinosaurs and even the petting zoo here, telling him to put his dog, pa- dog pouch away. It's not. <laughs> it's again. It's just that sibling, sibling sort of. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's not not even anywhere near as bad mm-hmm. as what I mean, Karen's describing. Yeah, and. And anybody who's been in a uh, sibling relationship or, or even pseudo-sibling relationship understands the kind of um, the kind of don't go away is not cool for me to be seen with kind of thing, you know? <laughs> I mean, I have a I have a younger cousin who even to this day still monkey see monkey do's me. Yeah. I I I caught her the last time I was with her. She I um I crack my I crack my neck in a very specific way i i push it forward at the base of my chin 
And I then, like, not even five minutes later, I caught her doing the same thing. I'm like, <laughs> really? You're still copying me? Yep. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's just one of those things that he's, he's going to have to accept is going to happen the rest of his life. Uh, definitely, definitely. But Claire apologizes. As behind Karen, you can see a man in a suit tapping on the, the big glass window. She says, tomorrow I'm going to spend the entire day with him. I'm going to take time off work. And uh, not leave their side, I promise. And I often criticise fan service. We talked about in uh, Jurassic, in the uh, August issue of Jurassic Minutes, uh, with the site B, an in-gen uh, crate. But it would have been really cool if we had a big uh, Cohen, Swain, and Ross lawyers sign on this window, referencing back to that original novel. That yes, yes, <laughs> I think it would have been. I mean, even. Though they were the lawyers represent, or the lawyers Gennaro was representing the investors firm through, I still think that it would have been a nice nod, you know. Mm. I mean, it would have been subtle, and it would have kind of been one of those blinking you miss it nods. But at the same time, I think that the movie kind of needed more of that and less in your face fan service, you know. <laughs> yeah, just something small like that. The hardcore fans would have uh, knew exactly what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, or should I say fans of the book I uh, wouldn't know exactly what it was well I was just, it's funny because I was just saw I just saw a tweet from BD Wong where a fan at, uh, tweeted him and said since when were you the villain and, and BD Wong was like uh, basically said dude you gotta you gotta read the book yeah <laughs> yeah but even even some sort of lawyer sign here, because this could be just a workplace. We don't we don't get the the drop later on until uh, Gray and Zach are talking about the divorce. We did have the family the last family breakfast line earlier, but mm-hmm. we sort of don't. It's not really telegraphed real well here that this is a divorce hearing. Uh, the papers mm-hmm. are being signed. But at the same time, I mean, it is kind of a impl- implied subtlety. You know, I mean, we did see them kind of fighting at the airport as well and that was I mean it was kind of implied that they are not having a relationship right? they're not on a steady relationship you know hmm. which is sort of odd now going all the way back to the Mitchell house and the fact that they've if they're not together um, surely if these papers are getting drawn up now they've probably been separated for a while yet they're still both in the the people mover <laughs> Um, to take the boys to the to the uh, airport, you'd think they'd be in one of one of the other's cars. True. Uh, Karen Sniffleson says, "Yeah, well, a promise tomorrow is worth a lot less than trying today." And Claire scoffs at the uh, the comment, "So you're using Mum's lines now," <laughs> which that's not a line I heard. <laughs> mm, inspirational mother. Right. <laughs> <laughs> My mom was always kind of old school. She always came up with those kind of old idioms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. 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 But Karen says, well, I know that works. <laughs> and um, and you'll find out when you have kids one day. And uh, we get the if joke here. Claire's saying if. And Karen's saying it's worth it. And uh, Claire sort of being the immature one, he just sort of, Bye, Mom. <laughs> I'm ending the call. And uh, Karen says, bye, thanks, and that's the end of the phone call. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Dad. <laughs> uh, 
yeah. But that's the uh, that's the end of the phone call scene. As Claire's just uh, sitting quietly in a car, biting mm-hmm. her lip. I've seen this more of uh, crap. How am I going to be able to take tomorrow off <laughs> and spawn <spend time laughs> off the boys? I've just I've just um, promised I'd do something. I don't know if I'll be able to keep keep up that promise. Well, I mean, she will be able to be spending a lot of the uh, evening with them. That's mm. kind of guaranteed. <laughs> <laughs> Fighting yeah. for their lives. Yep. Running and, and uh, screaming. <laughs> and now we cut to the National Geographic of Hawaii. Shots again. We've got another beautiful part of Hawaii here. Um, the very familiar looking trees. And a little Mercedes commercial being shown as the... Uh, Two people that could probably never afford one. Uh, <laughs> I, I like this one more than the commercial we get later on with it roaring along the road. Yeah. At the same time, I do kind of like those shots just for the way they set up the jungle. Like this one here, we see the car pulling up to Owen's cabin. And you can see in the background those, those mountains with the big dark cl- gray clouds swirling mm. across the tops and like almost but not quite there i wish we had more of that imagery in this movie you know yeah so sort of setting up that i'm, I'm not yeah <laughs> setting up that ominous um that sort of ominous look yeah exactly and it's i mean you could argue some of the symbolism there because i know that a lot of paintings that use clouds and storms in that way to kind of foreshadow a kind of coming conflict. Mm -hmm. So you do have these dark swirling storm clouds coming over the mountain and verging into the um, sunshine of the day, but at the same time, it never really gets progressively cloudier or darker. So it's... The um, metaphor is kind of lost, you know? Well... We talked about it back with the control room. There's a satellite imagery there shows a hurricane about to hit the island. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't see it here at all. Here we are a couple of hours later, maybe, and uh, it's just yeah, a little bit of cloud out. Mm-hmm. But as the uh, as the camera pulls back, we get to see that streamline. Uh, they're called narrow stream, aren't they? Camper um, and the cabin, sort of all built together here. Yeah, it is. It's kind of like a conglomerate like he built a cabin around the camper you know yeah well, he's just sort of thrown a heap of stuff together <laughs> mm-hmm. obviously maybe yeah, that's that's kind of a real junk pile <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah well at least in fallen kingdom he finally gets to start from scratch and build build the cabin that he wants to build uh whether or not we see a completed one in dominion or it's a completely another thing but um, we cut to Owen sitting on a bucket, working away on his motorcycle with the lake in the background and mm-hmm. a beautiful location. And he's been working out uh, those big love handles bursting out of his shirt here. <laughs> <laughs> and we can also hear the Brachiosaurus in the background too. Mm. I mean, I think it's calling numerous. We hear the Brachiosaurus calls numerous times during the scene. Yeah, it's just all that ambient noise in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, which, of course, and that's sort of one thing with how small uh, Nublar is and how much sort of dinosaur noises would carry, mm-hmm. you'd think it'd be something that'd be more more of a mainstay. Maybe not on Main Street where you got the noise of crowds and um, all that sort of thing going on, but even later... 
when they're at the Indominus panel, I suppose it's out, out of the way a little bit, but you, you should have more of these sort of sounds in the background, even just a, a, mm-hmm. the T-Rex roaring or something in the background as well, just that sound travelling up the valley. Yeah. But we get his POV of Claire getting out of the car, high heels and obviously not dressed for the occasion. She makes a... Uh, well, takes a moment to look in the car's window and fixes the hair and the reflection. Uh, again, that control freak <laughs> going for perfection. Mm-hmm. We haven't really talked much about a wardrobe, um, aside from the shoes and the hair, obviously, but the all-white, um, mm-hmm. I think it looks like white stockings. He otherwise she's, uh, never gets any sun, which could go back to Masrani's comment from earlier, um, <laughs> being a ginger. But um, obviously a callback to Hammond here with uh, the all-white... Yeah. Well, not only that, but it's also white is a color that prevents a very kind of sterile, kind of um, off-putting kind of attitude. It's just, it's that it when you're wearing all white, you give these incl- this kind of implied sense that you are a very organized, straightforward, clean person. You know, I mean, anybody who wears white is obviously not expecting to be involved in the dirt. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> Yeah, and I still see people sort of comparing her to Hammond when there's not really a comparison. We didn't get to... Jurassic Park wasn't a state, at a state where there was going to be park operations, all that sort of stuff. Maybe they'd already hired, but they weren't on the island, at least anyway, that we know of mm-hmm. back in the day. But this being a lot bigger park, obviously a lot more staff here than what, uh, what Jurassic Park would have had. But we cut back to Owen as he's uh, bolting something onto his bike and he asks to no one, what do they want now? So obviously the only time uh, any park staff have come to see him is because they've wanted something in the past. Mm-hmm. It's sort of a little bit of a um, confirmation here too, the fact that he works for InGen, not for Jurassic World staff. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's also always been assumed that he is... I mean, not like you said, works directly for InGen, but that his whole little cabin set up here is something of a... is not, like, officially part of the park. It's just something he kind of parked here, and, you know, I mean, it's just where he... It just so happens to be where he lives. <laughs> how many so, times How many times do you reckon he's got back from the Raptor enclosure and found a note on the door saying, clean up, <laughs> you can get evicted? Exactly, yeah. yeah, he's, he's not... He's not staffed in the uh, in the park staff accommodations. He just kind of parked his shit here and said, this is mine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and it is a beautiful spot that he's, is, uh, yeah. that he's found here. I like that. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> um, and as the, uh, as the minute ends, uh, Claire walks over to him and says, Mr. Grady, I need you to come take a look at something. And we're going to get the counter to the Mr. Grady next minute. Mm-hmm. Heading over to novel comparisons quickly. Uh, in a novel, as I said last minute, we don't get the phone call. It sort of cuts from the goat being eaten to Owen returning to his cabin, still fuming after the conversation with Hoskins. And uh, to take his mind off things, he starts working on his bike, mm-hmm. um, but doesn't get far when a silver Mercedes pulls up. And uh, all the dialogue um, from there was pretty much the same as what we get in the film. There is something that you don't really get in the movie, at least I never did um, until kind of reading the the junior novel here, was that 
he's working on his bike to kind of cool off from the conversation from Hoskins, knowing that what Hoskins saw kind of proved what Hoskins wanted to be correct. Mm. And so I always kind of just figured that he was doing general maintenance on his bike, that he wasn't like kind of doing an Anakin Skywalker where fixing things makes him feel relaxed, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, whether it's whether it was Hoskins' plan just to to give the Raptors a field test or his um his threat that we're going to do it with or without you boys, I don't know. Another it doesn't seem to be really written here into the final film. Another actor may have been a bit more brooding mm-hmm. or something here because Chris Pratt's going to be a lot more comedic in yeah. his uh, next few minutes. Maybe too and, far, <laughs> too far. And of course, of um. Josh Brolin was originally slated to be to be in this role, so we know that he probably uh, definitely would have played more brooding. Yeah. Or played it up at least, you know. I do kind of wonder what it what the movie would have been like, and this might be something they could return to at the end of the um at the end of the movie, what it would have been like had Josh Brolin and Idris Elba gotten the respective roles of Owen Grady and Barry, you know. Yeah, I'm just thinking of possibilities now. I'm just because I don't think all the stuff at the Raptor Pen, none of it's being comedic. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I reckon Brolin would have been fantastic there, just going against Vincent D'Onofrio. That would have been <laughs> really oh, good. Definitely. And I'm just trying to think going forward if there's any comedic stuff he. Chris Pratt does that sort of works because we're going to get to it in these next couple of minutes. I'm I'm not a mm-hmm. fan of what happens with this oh, conversation goes. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I recall quite a few fans having a problem with this when the uh, it was shown as a teaser clip. Yeah, yep. and quite a few still have a problem with it. Yep. Even just the delivery of the it's like taking a step in the woods 65 million years ago that coming from someone like Brolin and not Pratt mm-hmm. see it would it would feel more foreboding and less kind of casual you know well, I got I got goosebumps now just thinking about it <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was I, I'm thinking like Brolin t- playing a role of like straight man like he does in Deadpool 2 whereas yeah I mean, yeah he's Clearly, he's being—he's a character foil against um, against Ryan Reynolds' goofy ass Deadpool, but mm-hmm. at the same time, he does a great job in the role of Cable. You know? Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. That's what I was sort of comparison comparing it to. Yeah. I think moving forward, we might just keep that in the back of our minds when we get sort of some stuff between or some of Chris Pratt's dialogue. Right. Just sort of thinking about what it would be like. Mhm. Because even now, I'm thinking back to the. Ever, ever wonder why the job opening was there? Well, don't ever turn your back on the cage. Just how much more, as you said before, how much more menace or threat that would have coming from someone like Brolin and not mm-hmm. someone... Especially when you're just sort of seeing Chris Pratt as Star-Lord as well, that goofy. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, he is more natural in a kind of comedic setting too, so, you know? Mm. So that is something to keep in mind with Chris Pratt, is he's always kind of had the role of the com- comic relief or the lighter character. 
Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's it. Not to go too far into the next minute. With some of the bad, there is some sort of good stuff there with his comedic stuff as well. Being all stern, I don't control the Raptors, and sort of laughing to himself as he runs off <laughs> into his cabin. So <laughs> um, we'll get into that in uh, minute thirty. But Dave, um, if that's it, we'll get out of here for the day and uh, sign off on minute twenty-nine. All right.